the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 113, and our guest is Michaela Ann. Michaela Ann is a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Her fifth full-length record, Oh To Be That Free, was released on June 10th of 2022 on Yep Rock Records, and it is a gorgeous powerful collection of songs i am so honored to bring you this conversation y'all this may be the most personal and emotional conversation we have recorded on the marinade i'm so grateful for michaela's presence and openness and time i hope you enjoy my conversation with michaela ann hi hi michaela thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I um, I just kind of want to ch- first just say, how are you doing? Um, we've had a, it's been a really heavy few days. Um, you know, with, as we're recording this for folks listening, it's just a few days after Roe v. Wade was overturned on your daughter's first birthday. Um, so, I mean, before we try to talk process or anything, just how are you? Oh, man. Um I don't even know. Not great. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's devastating. I, I knew it was coming and I still was just gut punched. Like I, I was posting a picture of her on her birthday, her birthday morning on Instagram felt very, you know, excited to share like one year. Yeah. And as soon as I posted it, I got a phone alert of Roe v. Wade is officially overturned. Um, and I just, you know, it's hard to not feel completely hopeless and helpless and, and just like, you don't know what to do and cannot believe that this is the country that we're living in. And it just, the hits just keep on coming. What's what this Supreme court is doing. And it's absolutely horrifying. So, Yeah. yeah. Is there anything this is a question I've just been asking women in my life um, and anybody who I can get a chance to talk to is like, as you're processing all of that, all of this, is there anything that the, that the men in your life or men that you see either publicly or, you know, personally are either doing or not doing that they need to sort of correct (laughs) Um, in order to to be good advocates here and to to make to hopefully make a difference and make some change. 
I mean, the men in my life, you know, my, my husband is very active and involved with, um, he's an example to me of, I look to him when I'm like, what do I do? Cause I'll just kind of rage tweet and <laughs> just yeah, yeah. be angry. And he's like, have you called your representative? Have you called our council members? Have you called, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's the, the first, you know, he's the man in my life that I am with every day. So I see what he's doing. And I, I see a lot of men in my life progressively feel more like this is their problem too, which it is. Um, I think the, I think, unfortunately in America, we, uh, we really kind of think on a personal basis of what, and I'm guilty of this too, of what, what am, I don't feel touched by things unless they personally impact me. Um, I think we have a challenge of empathy of understanding that it hurts hurting other people being hurt negatively affected. We should still care about that and still want to do something about it. And I, I get so mad when I talk about, well, the different ways that it can impact people and, you know, others will say, well, but you know, you'll be able to uh, find a way. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. I remember when Trump was elected here, I was just immediately going down all of the ways that lives were going to negatively be impacted by this, the ripple effect of this moment of the, you know, families and children at the border, you know, all these different ways. And it was like, okay, but your life won't really change. I'm like, okay, if I could just block everything out, sure. I could think that my daily life is okay, but only until it's not, Yeah, (laughs) you know, the men in life who might think, oh, I'm not impacted it until their partner has an ectopic pregnancy or can't, you know, past the miscarriage that they're experiencing on their own. You know, there's all these other ways we're trying to say things like, well, victims of rape and incest. A lot of people are like, well, but how many people do you know that actually get pregnant, actually get raped and actually get impregnated by it? Or how many people do you know? Or it's always kind of how we're personally impacted. Um, So I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I think we all just need to care more about stuff that we might not feel the personal impact of. And I don't, I really don't know what I'm tired of being told to vote because we, we are voting and we've gotten Democrats in office. And what is that doing? I don't know. Yeah. I think on the first point, I think, you know, I grew up in the South in the evangelical church and and was taught, was indoctrinated to believe that abortion was murder and that the Democrats were evil. And then once I, you know, grew up and got out of that town and got out of the church, I started to recognize like how ridiculous that argument was, but I was still ambivalent for a long time, probably because of the same things that you're just discussing is like, I just kind of felt like, well, it's not my thing. It's not my place. And first of all, it's not true, right? Because it impacts the women in my life. Um, it could directly impact my life. Um, and, but, but that, and so now I'm, I've kind of gotten to a place where I'm trying to be as active as I possibly can, right? I'm going to a protest tonight, um, been, went to a protest when the uh, draft opinion was leaked. Um, I live in a pretty liberal bubble here in Florida. So all my reps are, you know, all my reps are on the good side. 
um, of this discussion. And, but that doesn't mean I don't need to continue to do more on the voting thing. This is something that I've really been trying to hammer home to folks. And like, I get that. I get what you're saying. And I understand people's frustrations, but one side, there's only two options here, really. One is saying, I'm going to actively take away your fundamental rights. And the other side is saying, I'm not going to do anything. And I hate that I have to choose the side that says I'm not going to do anything, but I'm definitely going to choose that side because otherwise the people who are telling you they're going to take away your basic rights are going to continue taking away your basic rights. So it sucks, but I keep beating the drum of let's keep voting. It's not the the overall solution, but just like to pump the brakes, you know, on yeah. backsliding of democracy. I think we got to keep voting. Yep. You know? No, I know. And the two party system is really, uh, it's just not awesome. And all the stuff, you know, our country being further and further divided, I, I'm at a loss because I used to preach all the time about like, I don't like using words Democrat and Republicans and Republicans are this, and I don't like that divisiveness. I grew up in a military family around a lot of conservative people. My family is not, would not be considered conservative at all, um, but other members in our family are. And I've, you know, I've always thought we need to have um, respectful discourse and we need to, you know, be kind to each other and all this stuff. I still believe that, but it's gotten to the point that I'm now more radicalized of this is insane. What the GOP, the laws of the GOP are passing the idea that banning abortion is saving babies is utterly ridiculous. And they're going to kill more people than save fetuses. Yeah. that they're going to be determined to bring into this world to live what kind of lives being yeah. born to women who do not want them for whatever reason that's their business but i always am just like if you're you know having a one-year-old going through pregnancy and childbirth myself and living through the first year of parenting no one should do this unless they feel mm. absolutely ready, capable, supported financially. Like it is not an exaggeration when it's like this, having a child is the hardest thing, Mm -hmm. the hardest thing. And that's when you deeply want that. So I'm sorry. No, I just, you know, I feel like I'm getting emotional, but I know, I know. I, and I wish I could tell you that I, I want to take it in a lighter direction, but I, I don't really, cause there's some, <laughs> some heavy stuff I want to keep talking about. Um, and, and if it, if it gets too, too deep or too heavy, just please tell me and, and we'll, we'll take it in a lighter direction. So I have been ugly crying all morning, listening to your record. Um, my father is has been in and out of the hospital in a rehabilitation center for since May, early May. Um, he lives about an hour and a half north of me. Thank you. And um, it's just been, it's just been fucking hard. You know, like it's like every little life task seems seems so difficult. Um, driving back and forth, trying to be supportive for my mom, and and really struggling. You know, because we have butted heads a lot since 2016. My family has a very conservative family um, and, and fully caught up in the MAGA cult. 
and it just makes it very difficult. Like you want to be there for your parents, but at the same time, it's like very difficult to be around them because of some of the things that they say and support. And when I was listening to your record and just and doing research for this conversation, just thinking about what you must have been going through when you were caring for your mother and making these songs, it just like I felt I didn't feel I've kind of felt alone. I mean, having a support system, right? Like I, yeah. I have an amazing partner and I'm, I'm lucky in that way. But the way that the, the re- listening to the record this morning made me feel less alone. I just want to say thank you for that. Like yeah. it, it was such a, it was hard. I mean, I was waterworks this morning, mm. <laughs> but, um, but it was super cathartic too, you know, cause it was like, okay, all right. We, we're all in this together, right? Yeah. I, we're all in this together. <laughs> um, how did you, are you good in those crisis situations? Like that's a lot. And you had a lot on your plate at that time. You're pregnant. Your mom's going through it. You're making a record. Um, are you good at that? At, at those kind of moments? You know, I, I had never had an experience like that. Um, and I haven't, you know, this, the only loss that I had experienced was my grandparents Mm. Um, and I watched my mom go through a lot of trauma with that, but I didn't have the emotional maturity or awareness to really understand all of that or feel it. Um, so I've, you know, I've watched my mom my whole life be, uh, the rock of our family and the calm in the storm. She is incredible in a crisis. She's, she's always, you know, okay, what, what needs to be done? let's handle stuff. I need all the information. I have never thought I was that person. I've never thought that I was like my mom. I'm very emotional. Um, I feel like I'm going to, we're going to cry this whole thing. Yeah. We probably are going to be in and out. Sorry, everybody listening, but whatever. (laughs) They know me, they know it's, it's like likely to happen. Um, I mean, maybe we need more of this in, in our, life of just people showing raw emotion um sure but you know I didn't I didn't know but I I will say that in that moment I did step up and was that's you know I have always have to kind of look at what are the positives about really difficult challenging times and you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot of things that you're you had no idea you're capable of um Mm. So I remember, you know, I told my, my husband, I remember standing in the hospital the first morning that I went in, you know, we got the call on Friday afternoon that she had had a stroke. My dad called me and we got in the car and drove 10 hours North to Michigan. And the next morning I remember standing in the ICU and the nurse coming in and talking to me and telling me all these things about her prognosis and what the next steps were. And I remember standing there thinking, why are you telling me these things? Like, I'm, I'm the kid. (laughs) And I was like, what, uh, who, oh, you should just, and I remember looking at my mom's laying there in the bed, mute, um, and paralyzed and looking down at my five month pregnant stomach and thinking, wait, do you, you need my, I should call my dad. You need my dad to come. Like you need to talk to the adult. And I remember having that moment of like, oh shit. I'm the adult here. Like I'm the one. And it took me a second. And I remember being like, 
can you get me a piece of paper and pen? Like I need to write down. And I just very quickly thought, what's my, what would my mom do? What would my mom do? Mm. And I, you know, from that moment on, I went into, you know, then it was a three month hospital stay and where I traded with my dad. And then we, you know, we, we had our daily journal where we wrote down every single note of information and medication and side effect and, you know, kept track. And so I learned that, yes, uh, I can be very good in a crisis. Um, Mm. it's the, you know, I have moments I fall apart and still do. Um, but I was honestly surprised that I could keep it together and have the conversations with the doctor and, and be, be the adult, which that I think that if, you know, I look in my life at 34, I was 34 years old when that happened. And I think that was the moment I grew up. Mm, wow. <laughs> it, took me, it took me a while and, um, took me being pregnant and this happening to my mom, but yeah. There's so much I want to talk about with that. It, you know, I, I think we're, we're capable of so much more than we realize. And, and when those moments come, we have to step up. I, I, I don't feel like I've handled the last month very well. And uh, I've, I've been meeting with my therapist more often in this, in this month, because things were kind of like starting to cruise for me, you know, I was doing pretty good at managing my anxiety and dealing with the things that I deal with. And I was like, feeling pretty good about, about things. And then boom, this huge life thing happens. And I got to step up and I, ha- I feel like I haven't. And she's like, and I'm telling her the things that I'm doing. She's like, no, 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 you're doing great. Like that. And she's not a cheerleader. That's not her style. Like she will hold me, my feet to the fire if I'm not doing what I need to do. Um, and she will, you know, push me to think through things, but she was like, no, dude, you're give yourself some grace. Like you are, you're stepping up because we have to, in those moments, I'm curious, like, cause the, the, the fact that you were in the middle of, in the middle, right. Of making your record, if mm-hmm. I understand. And mm-hmm. when all this happens. And so you just mentioned that you asked for a, a pen and something to write with, is that is that a way that you process those kind of difficult things? Is that like a form of maybe almost creative thinking that you had to do in that moment that helped you? Um, you know, I've, I've, it's been interesting because I've thought a lot about my creative process through this because I have not been very creative. Um, mm. I, if I look back on what, you know, when my mom first went into the hospital um, and had the stroke, you know, I was writing everything down. I was keeping notes of everything that was happening to her through the day of, you know, even like my, my brother, we had, you know, my dad and my brother and I were trading shifts and at the hospital because of COVID only one person could be in at a time. So we were also all experiencing this alone. And I was writing down every single detail, like my brother, and we'd leave this journal and to whoever was there to keep logs. And my brother was like, wow, you, Michaela, you and dad are really intense. You're literally like mom pooped (laughs) (laughs) every every single detail. Um, And beyond that, I was also writing down, you know, I have letters that I was writing to my mom those first, you know, those early days, um, I was journaling everything, like every, you know, as she was talking, but as life has 
I realize, you know, the acute time versus what, when, as it becomes more long-term um, and life kind of sets in, not to mention adding a baby to the mix and the extreme exhaustion that I'm still experiencing of having a, a baby. Um, I've less and less been writing and mm. even like just journals of, of daily experiences. So, you know, my process has usually been write everything down and that's how you kind of explore. But then I think this is a new experience for me of just so much that I can't even take the time or have the energy to write it down. And I, I hope it, you know, I'm praying that it comes back since this is what I do for a living. <laughs> um, have you ever read Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But was, a long time ago. So I wonder if like, if you don't have a morning pages practice, if that is a viable option. I know, you know, babies require a lot of care in the morning. I get that. I wonder if that might be just as a suggestion, something yeah. that, you know, on top of my head. I don't know, but if no, you've I read think it. You're right. I haven't read it in like probably 10 years. So okay. I need to, and I do think, you know, I do think it's one of those with sustained challenges. You can, one of the negative coping mechanisms though is stuffing of just, I have to get through. I have to get through daily life. So I don't want to put this to page right now because um, I just got to cope. Right. Well, I, you know, it's, it, that's one of the things that I wrote down to ask you about is like with a little bit of space, not a ton of space. I mean, that's a heavy, heavy moment in life, but with a little space between the moment that you drive those 10 hours and you're there taking care of mom, writing down a journal, which by the way, thanks for sharing that. That's super helpful just as a practical application. I, yeah. I, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I'm, I'm going to seal that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, what, do you, what about you? Like, how, what have you learned about yourself? You mentioned that you've learned that you can do it, right? You can be the adult um, when, when, <laughs> when thrust into that moment. Is there any other lessons you've learned about you, about growth, about coping, about how you react? Any of those kinds of bigger picture things that you've learned about you through this whole process? Yeah, I mean, I've learned that... I, I, I realize I think I'm a, a pessimistic eternal optimist, if that makes sense. Like yeah, I'm sure I'm very um, realist, maybe. Yeah. And I, you know, I quickly think of the worst case scenario and I experience it emotionally, I think maybe mm. as a way of like preparing myself and I'm, you know, get really distraught and can't hold back my emotions, but then I have to have just eternal hope still. Um, and that's something I, you know, I've been proud of to realize about myself that I, you know, I have really, really hard days and I cry a lot and think like, am I allowed to curse in here? <laughs> All you fucking want. <laughs> I'm like, shit is so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You already I mean, said shit earlier, so that's okay. all good. I think I already said fuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. In my in my personal life, and then obviously the backdrop of the world, just like, oh, this is so, so dark. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, 
I still can find pockets of joy and find, you know, ways that I'm like, life has to get better. And there's all these like good things that are happening. And there's all these ways, you know, in every aspect of life, I will be determined that my mom is not going to get better. And I will be so distraught. Mm. And then I will have immense amount of hope just flood through me and like be so excited because she went out to lunch for the first time and you know all of these different things like it's such a roller coaster but I think that that's a positive that I've learned about myself that I'm still able to pull myself out and keep going um and keep you know keep making music in a in a time where the music industry is super fucked (laughs) the Mm -hmm. the touring industry you know to keep doing this um when everything is harder than ever on all levels of my life um that's something a a dedication that I've I didn't really know that I had Mm. um yeah I've learned those things and I've learned you know I've had so many people say to me like I can't believe you know, what you've done for your, your family, your mom, dropping everything and dropping, you know, everything in your life and being there for three months. And I've kind of thought that what, what other choice was there? Yeah. You know, I have immense guilt that since having my daughter that I haven't been up there more. Um, Mm. But, you know, trying to balance raising a child and with your partner, when we don't really have the means to just go move up there right now, um, so, you know, that kind of stuff of, that I learned about myself of just the devotion that the intense devotion I have to my mother um, and the ability to just keep going. That's great. We talked a lot about mom and to dive into the record, Oh, to be that free, which is just so beautiful. Again, like I said, it's just such a, a gorgeous record. And there are a few moments that stood out to me. And one of them was um, the song chasing days. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about upbringing in that song. And I'm just wondering like, what, what did, what was your relationship with music and creativity like growing up? Yeah. Music was my, it was my way of coping with everything. Um, you know, the first song I ever wrote, I think I was five years old and it was an instrumental piano piece called when daddy comes home and my dad was out to sea, and it was this like minory sad thing. Um, and I think about that, that that was, it was my way of processing feelings and communicating my feelings, um, which my first, you know, my first feelings in life were ones of longing, whether I was longing for where we had just left or, you know, longing for my dad. My, they, my family tells stories of me being like three years old, standing at the front window, gripping the curtain saying, daddy, please, daddy, please, because oh my, my dad was gone. So I think about that, that just like that, in a, in a way, you know, the things that you're familiar with often are comforting, even if they're not the best feelings. So I think I've spent my life also creating and being, you know, drawn to feelings of sadness and longing because that's what I'm accustomed to. Um, So music from the very beginning was my way of 
processing and emoting, um, escaping. Um, I'm sorry. We're gonna, yeah, we no, literally it's... are going to cry this yep. whole day. We got this. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> we got this. We're, we're pros. <laughs> <laughs> the music was your way of, of processing that, that like those difficult things that, yeah. you know, the longing and for, you know, for dad as he's, as he's out working. Right. Yeah. And that's gotta be, so was somebody teaching you, like, did you, did mom play piano, dad play piano, like grandma, grandpa with their records all over the place? So my, my family was musical in the sense my dad grew up playing piano um, and he played, he had like a couple of songs that were his go-to piano jams. Um, my, I have an older brother that has, was always very musical and he was, he was taking piano lessons and learning um, my grandfather played piano. My uncle was a performer on Broadway. He was a dancer, singer, actor who lived in New York. Oh, wow. So from a young age, you know, it wasn't like I didn't, my family weren't, weren't musicians that were always, you know, putting on music, but we did, my parents always put on records. They had, you know, VH1 on all the time. This was like late eighties. Um, mm-hmm. so music was was something that was around a lot. And my mom says that she always saw in me from a really young age when I was a baby that I would, you know, dance and really be into music. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, the central part of our family life, but it was around. And I knew that I learned the joy of music through seeing it for my family, for sure. That's great. Was there a point where you, where you felt like this is the thing I either want or need to do for as my life, as my career? Um, I didn't, I didn't know. And I think I've still continued to always have one foot in one foot out of a music career. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know artists, you know, my uncle was a performer, but I didn't, I didn't like know that there was working class musicians. So it took me a long time to, to realize that I could build a life around this. Um, but I still, to this day, I'm always like, should I be doing something else? It's so (laughs) interesting. I don't, I have friends who are just, they are, you know, committed to being artists in life that they wake up and they create. And I, and that's just the life that they live. And I think for whatever reason, there's still always this voice in my head. That's like, yeah, but it's kind of silly, right? Like, <laughs> so I have, I have that. And then I have, but then I also have these experiences where I'm like, you know, I, I play sharing music and what I get back from that, the, the emotional connection from the people, the meaning. And then I'm like, no, this is absolutely what I'm intended to do in this life. Um, but I really experience a push pull of, of, but what about providing for my child? What about being able to take care of my parents? What about making enough money? Like, so, you know, I'm very honest that I question everything all the time to an exhaustive point. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, having a child just makes everything so different. You know, I, I, I don't have kids, but I just, 
it's just so clear to me as I see my friends with kids, like how much, how much of an impact that, I mean, hell, I make all kinds of decisions for my dogs. You know, I can only imagine <laughs> if I had a human life that I was having to make decisions that impacted them, you know, I'm like, I yeah. don't, don't leave conundrum alone too long. You know, I got to make sure I get home. <laughs> I can yeah. imagine if I like, you know, had a baby to worry about with that, especially when it comes to creative stuff today, for example, you know, and I don't need empathy, everybody. It's fine. But like, um, I, today they were just being rascals and I was trying to prepare for this. And I had another interview earlier that, um, didn't end up happening, but that I was trying to prepare for, and I was writing a little bit and I was like, and they were just being rascals. And so I'm running in the other room to break that up. I mean, I can't imagine if you had a little human <laughs> that like needs you to feed it and all the things that go along with that. So huge, huge shout out to you for balancing you. that, you know, and, um, and, and doing that work. Um, there's, there's a theme that kind of runs through the record. Oh, to be, be that free. That's like this kind of coming to an understanding of yourself, this sort of like, um, I think the, the lyric on good people is I want to be a person I'm okay with, I believe is Mm -hmm. the lyric. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a beautiful uh, aspiration. Right. And, um, and such a beautiful thing to to think about how much has stopping drinking helped with that or not and how much has that informed your creative process also yeah so i've wanted to make sure i clarify because you know a lot of the um stuff around this record is that i got sober i'm not sober anymore okay Um, but I did, I was sober for a period of time with the intent to change my relationship to alcohol, which I have done, thankfully, um, that now I feel comfortable to be able to have a drink or two, but I mean, I not drinking completely changes your, your brain. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, when I was drinking all the time, I was drinking every single night, not thinking, do I actually want this drink? Like, does the, will this make me feel better? And, you know, then having that buzz, your decision-making is different. Your, you know, your awareness is different. Your level of selfishness or selflessness is very different. Um, so I was making all sorts of decisions that I wouldn't, I know, I feel very confident that I can say if alcohol was not involved in my life, I would have made very different decisions and been mm. on a very different path. So, you know, I, um, I think that hundred percent helped me gain some clarity of what kind of life I want to live. Um, and I still to this day, I'm always, you know, yesterday we had a birthday party for my daughter and I did have a couple glasses of wine and I do not feel great today. (laughs) Ah. So, you know, I am like, every time I do add a little bit back in, I'm like, man, life is much clearer and healthier. And I'm able to be the person I want to be for myself and others when I keep it really restricted. Um, so yeah, I believe, I believe it plays a large role in my health mentally and emotionally and therefore my relationships. I'm really grateful for you sharing that. Cause I think sometimes 
it, when we have conversations about alcohol, about addiction, about um, substances in general, so often they are framed as all or nothing. So often yeah. it is framed as like, I am in recovery and, and that's legit, obviously, mm -hmm. right? There are lots of folks who need to just completely put it away and never touch it again. Um, and, you know, as you know, all throughout my family tree, we've got addicts. And so I have to be hyper aware of my own relationship with alcohol. And I think I can relate a great deal to what you're saying in that I have to check myself sometimes and, and reevaluate and go, all right, is this a coping thing? Am I doing this too much? And I've realized, you know, lately, yes, lately, like I need to take a break and I'm going to mm -hmm. take a break because it's like, it sneaks up on you. It sneaks mm -hmm. up on you. It becomes a thing that you're just doing because you do it instead of something that is in some way going to enhance the situation. And so often it's not enhancing. It's actually taking mm -hmm. away. There are times when I feel like it does enhance the situation. And uh, those are the times that I need, if I'm going to do it, I'm, I should do it in that time. But I like the idea of thinking of it as like some, for some folks, and I think I'm one of those folks, I just need to take a break every once in a while. I need to reevaluate things. I need to constantly be thinking about my relationship with alcohol and then revisiting it and making sure that it does not become a problem. Um, and if it does become a problem, then I need to quit, you know, yeah. and, and then I need to acknowledge that. Um, so I, I really, I'm grateful that you shared that. Yeah, I think, you know, moderation is really um, important. And yeah, I, I decided I didn't want to just completely cut it out of my life. Um, but definitely having the ability to be like, okay, it's a sunny afternoon party. Like I automatically, the things that would just be kind of automatic and then yeah wanting to have a more conscious relationship of like, well, wait, why am I doing this? Do mm -hmm. I really want this? If someone, and as a musician being on tour all the time, man, it's so tough of like, you're, you know, oh, you get free drinks every night. Oh, you're not getting paid that much, but you get free drinks and you're not even thinking about it before you know it, you're getting, you know, buzzed or drunk every single night. And then you feel awful the next day. And then the way to feel better is hair of the dog. Let's just have a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then it's just a cycle. And you're like, what am I doing to my body and myself without being conscious of what, what my intention is? So much of live music in general. Like, I mean, the bars want to sell booze, right? That's how they're making their money. And the fact that we've gotten into a, you know, as a society, like I, I go to a show, I'm going to have a drink. I yeah. just, it happens all the time. And the shows where I don't, it's not like I have any less of an experience. Oftentimes it's better because I remember everything and I'm, I'm clear headed through it. And I'm more, uh, I'm more in tune with the music. It's not like mm -hmm. alcohol is not something that like enhances your experience with it's not like mushrooms or something, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not going to enhance your experience and listening to that music. If I'm clear headed, I'm having a real good experience. Some of my favorite hey. shows are ones where I didn't drink at all. And I'm like, you know, I, I have such vivid memories of those even 10, 12, 13 years ago um, mm -hmm. and down to the set list, you know, whereas yeah. if you're drinking, not so much. Yeah. 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 Um, the, when, when you were putting the record together, um, was your approach, cause I, I was listening to your whole discography and there are certainly commonalities between your records. 
with this one, it feels, um, I hate to overuse the word lush, but there's like a little, to me, I, there's a, like a, um, a lushness. I, I wish <laughs> I had a better word. Us music journalists love saying lush, but there is a, um, that kind of stands out to me as a listener. Is that something that you noticed too, or was that intentional? Yeah, that was definitely intentional. I kind of, um, you know, desert dove, there were some songs, there was a intentional, um, shift of sound kind of away from the like more honky tonk inspired country stuff. Um, and songs on desert dove, like one heart and somebody new and by our design really had that lushness. And I kind of wanted to take that a step further for this record. Um, so Aaron Schaefer Hayes, who produced this record, he knew all of that. Um, and that was a really intentional conversation and he built the, you know, the production and the tracks with that in mind, for sure. That's great. Was that, are you aware of that during the writing process itself, or did you have kind of the bare bones of these songs and then go, here's what I want from these? Um, I wasn't aware. There's some songs that I can kind of hear the production what, when I'm writing. Does it ever break your heart was one of them. The kind of on that song at the end, there's this like layered um, vocal part where there's these different vocal parts kind of going over each other. And it feels almost like, to me, it sonically feels like like a tornado or something is brewing. And that was when I wrote the song, I heard all of that in my head mm. as I was writing the vocal line when the song first was written, which that doesn't always happen. Um, so oh you know every song is different where sometimes I that can I can think like oh this is this is going to be a really big produced song or you know or I have no idea until it comes time to record and we might you know Chasing Days was one of those songs that we didn't really know what to do with at first and it was like do we just make this kind of your typical kind of alt country rock song or do we try and do something a little different um so it was a little challenging uh but I'm happy with where we got to what where we got to with that one that's super interesting because I I I, do you think that it that there is a difference in say your mindset at the time the song is being written that either leads to you kind of knowing the direction it's going to go or hearing what the what it might sound like versus not having as clear of an idea of what the finished product looks like? Is, is there maybe a difference in process in the writing of those songs? I don't know. I honestly, you know, I think, I think sometimes it's just like what I might be hearing in my head when I'm writing it, but I don't know if it really changes the actual process of writing, you know, for, for instance, like, good people. When I was writing that, I wrote that with my friend Maddie. And I remember just really kind of focusing on the lyrics and the chords. But then like, I'm only human, you know, similar writing process. But we talked about at the time, like, oh, yeah, this should this should be big, like this chorus should sound like really big and kind of have this like Roy Orbison vibe. So I think it's just like, the song, it presents itself as the song is coming out. Okay. This has been such a pleasure, tears and all. Um, I'm so grateful for you being so open and for giving us so much of your time and energy. We usually end on a lighter note 
which is the art that has you inspired at the moment. So we'll finally get light. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be a song you've heard re recently or a record you've been spinning or a film or a book, painting. Oh, this feels tough. <laughs> yeah. One of these days I'm actually going to give publicists a heads up about it, but I haven't. Um, that's okay. <laughs> Let me think. What have I been watching or listening to lately um you know i did listen to the angel olsen record recently and have been loving that um what else what do you listen to when you're just sort of like you're turning something on to, to chill or whatever what kind of stuff do you like to listen to yeah, at home, I listen to a lot of, we have a big uh, vinyl record collection. Nice. So, you know, and especially having a little daughter now, we like to introduce her to a lot of, you know, the classics. Um, so like yesterday, I had an Ella Fitzgerald record on, which I love and holds a lot of memories for me because I went to a jazz conservatory. So I was learning a lot of those songs. Um, so you know, I'll put some of that on. I have an Oscar Peterson record that I really love. Um, I love putting on the Beatles, um, Neil Young, Linda Ronstadt. Um, I put on a trio record the other day. I have Emily Harris and Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. And I, the, you know, the first song started and there's this little mandolin part. And my daughter looked at me like, Oh, like so excited like what is that <laughs> <laughs> that has to be mind-blowing yeah you know I don't think about that because I'm not around little kids I, I'm around mm -hmm. like adolescent kids a lot because I teach middle school but the little kids are you know, you're she's getting experience mandolin yeah. for the first time Very that's fucking dope time. yeah <laughs> and seeing it on her face is just incredible like just when she looks at you like and like she really likes to look in your eyes and if you're not looking at her she'll like get in your face to like look in your eyes and it's just it's amazing so we you know that uh, we revisiting a lot of older music that we love um, and introducing it to her is really exciting so we're doing a lot of that these days that's super fun. Well, thanks again so much for your time, Michaela. Thank you for your energy and for that beautiful record of yours. And I hope you have as good of a day as, as we can all have right now. I hope you get, get through it for the rest of the day. But it's been really, really helpful for me just to bounce ideas and talk about things. And I'm so I want to once again just say thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for your vulnerability and your empathy. And I'll be thinking of your dad and your family as well. I appreciate that. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Michaela and y'all, thank you so much, Michaela. Thank all of you for listening. I appreciate you so much. MichaelaAnn.com for all things Michaela Ann. The song you are hearing in this episode is Chasing Days from her record, Oh, To Be That Free. 
It is outstanding. I want to thank Yep Rock Records for making it possible for us to use that song in this episode. MarinadePodcast.com for all things the marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. We've been having a lot of fun over there. I've been trying to add a little bit more of a personal touch to our socials, and it's been really fun. It's been, it, it has not felt like a chore the way social media often can. It has felt like a fun way to interact and, and a way to connect with people. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. I also post what I'm getting down on, which is an examination of the art that is inspiring me at the moment. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours, patreon.com slash marinade podcast. If you can swing it and want to connect a little more deeply with the show. Uh, If you want to support us financially, but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription like Patreon, you can Venmo or PayPal us. Just search the marinade. And if you just want to tip us because you like a particular episode, we greatly appreciate it. All the money goes right back into making the show. And right now that means saving up to cover some festivals, including Philly Folk Fest next month. And my dear friend and collaborator, Jen Ross, will be with me. And there's just an amazing lineup. So we're really excited about that. We're grateful to have been invited to cover that festival. And um, I'm going to reach out to some really incredible artists and see who we can get on the show. Check out our new weekly title playlist, Marinade Musings, which you can find on our social media pages and by typing Marinade Musings into the title search. Title has a free tier now. So if you are holding back from using it because of the paywall, fret no more. Uh, marinade musings is just a short list of songs that i'm finding interesting just things i'm letting marinate thank you all again for listening thank you so much for supporting this thing uh you know michaela and i got pretty um pretty emotional during this episode um i i appreciate that we have such a supportive community of listeners who um you know who i feel comfortable being vulnerable to and and open to and so I'm just really thankful for, for each and every one of you who listens to the show. And until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.